0: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. After dismissing the COVID-19 threat for months, and after more than 200,000 Americans have died from it, President Trump announced on Twitter overnight that he and his wife, Melania Trump, have tested positive for the virus, a day after senior staffer Hope Hicks also tested positive. This morning, the Trump campaign canceled all events and ordered staff to self-quarantine. Joe Biden and his wife are being tested this morning, as epidemiologists say that Trump could have been infectious during Tuesday's debate. We'll bring you the latest and talk about what it all could mean for the November election. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Michael Krasny.
1: The President and the First Lady tested positive for COVID-19.
2: They remain in good spirits. Uh, uh, The President does have mild symptoms.
0: That was White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows this morning. The bombshell news of the President's test results came just a few hours after reports last night that top aide Hope Hicks tested positive for COVID. And in this hour of Forum, we're going to talk about the many implications of the president's diagnosis. Joining us, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. Good morning, Scott.
2: Good morning, Michael.
0: And we also say good morning to Dr. Bob Wachter, who is professor and chair in the Department of Medicine at UCSF. Welcome to the program, Bob Bob Wachter. Thank you so much. And Tony Schwartz joins us, ghostwriter for Trump's Art of the Deal, the book that really in many ways made Donald Trump, famous and author of a new book called Dealing with the Devil, My Mother, Trump, and Me. Welcome, Tony Schwartz. Thank you. Let me begin, uh, Scott, with you. This was uh, certainly not the October surprise anybody had anticipated. And I'm wondering at this point what this is going to do with respect to the re-election bid, particularly since we have the RNC chair also, uh, Rona McDaniel, who has been felled by COVID as well. Your thoughts?
2: Well, Michael, this is, of course, a very developing story. It uh, could be changing by the hour in terms of the president's condition, who else has been infected, who else may test positive, the impact perhaps on the confirmation hearings of Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, there are many, many implications. What we know right now is that the president uh, won't be holding any rallies. He's not going to be outside the White House uh, for some time to come. Uh, we know the, uh, the subject has changed back to the coronavirus and healthcare away from Proud Boys and whether or not he denounced white supremacy. So uh, that's probably a good thing for him. But on the other hand, you know, we have a president who has now become sick along with his wife, a president who has consistently uh denied the seriousness of uh, of the epidemic the pandemic somebody who has made fun of people who uh wear masks including Joe Biden uh somebody who has uh indicated that you know this all is going to disappear quickly well it, it, it's quite extraordinary that the most probably the most protected person in the world when it comes to security uh has managed to come down with this virus And uh, it is something you have to think that is completely, was completely avoidable. um, But he contracted the virus because he refused to follow the guidelines of health uh, officials. And he has no shortage of those at his fingertips. He just has, you know, time and again, declined to follow their advice. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, schadenfreude going around this morning. But I really don't think we know in any way what the long-term implications of this are politically, uh, what impact it could have on the vice president debate next week or the presidential debate the week afterwards, which is a town hall kind of a format. Um, So many, many implications, Michael, potentially. uh, And I think the biggest question is what course will the COVID-19 disease take with the president?
0: Well, you mentioned vice president, former vice president, Joe Biden. Let's hear that cut. When needed, I wear masks. Okay, let me ask. I don't have, I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking. 200 feet away from it, he shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. Well, Professor Wachter, that uh, really continues to resonate, uh, and it resonates now. We certainly wish the best for the president and his wife, but what effect is this going to have, an impact, do you think, on public health, particularly since he has, to a great extent, been downplaying masks and mocking uh, Joe Biden, as he did in that uh, debate, but also uh, talking about these big rallies and how necessary they are for him and how he's outside and therefore doesn't have to worry
1: well michael if you know if there's any good that comes out of it it will be that people that did not take this seriously will take it more seriously and uh you know as as was said if the president can get it anybody can get it there sometimes is this feeling that you know we're out of the woods it's just clearly not true the virus hasn't changed in a material way over the course of now eight or nine months, and uh, neither have we. So we are all susceptible, and what's remarkable is we know the things that one needs to do to lower your chance of of, uh, contracting uh, the coronavirus. And unfortunately, the president has uh, doubled down on not doing those things, and obviously we wish him well. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, foolish behavior that went into this. A lot will hinge on how he does, and I'm sure we'll get into issues related to prognosis. But if he has a mild case, he may, you know, feel a little bit crummy for a few days or a week or so and be back to normal. And you wonder what will come out of the politics of that if he recovers, but there, there is a decent chance that he will do poorly, and that, of course, will change it
0: even more. Well, we heard that cut of Mark Meadows saying that they are mild symptoms that he's experiencing. It's been reported this morning, in fact, by his doctor, Sean Connolly. Uh, his former doctor, Ronnie Johnson, said initially he's asymptomatic. So I'm just wondering what kind of information we're going to be getting and how authentic and realistic that information is. But l- let me just, if, if I could, indulge you for a moment about prognosis because uh, he went into the Walter Reed Hospital in a visit which was Supposed to be routine. It's still enshrouded to some extent in mystery, and uh, we don't know really why he went there. But uh, we have other leaders who have certainly suffered from uh, the virus. Boris Johnson and uh, Jair Bolsonaro come to mind immediately. But this is a president who is 74 years old, and the reality is he is, at least, he's been characterized because of his height and weight as obese.
1: Yeah, he falls into, uh, as we go through the check boxes of what would give you a worse prognosis, he checks off many, if not uh, all of the boxes. Older is worse than younger, and once you get up to the 74, uh, 74 years old, your chance of dying is somewhere around 100 times greater than if you got it in your 20s. Uh, he is male. Men do almost twice as poorly as women do, for reasons that aren't, aren't fully understood. He meets the clinical definition of obesity in terms of his body uh, mass index. That makes his prognosis three times worse than if he, if he wasn't obese. So uh, whatever other illnesses he has, and he may, because they have not been forthcoming about his medical record, uh, that can only add to, uh, to the sort of negative prognostic signs he has. He already comes into this with a fair number of points against him that doesn't mean that he's likely to do poorly uh, his chances of survival are quite good uh, probably on the order of 19 out of 20 but his chances of dying are from what we know from public information are about uh, are about one in 20 which is if it's three five seven percent it's somewhere in that range which is probably about 10 times more than the average person who gets COVID. the fact that he has symptoms Uh, means that he already is is falling uh, not into the best category, meaning about 40 percent of people that get the coronavirus we know are asymptomatic through their entire course. Uh, Maybe a little bit less than that. Some of them are pre-symptomatic. But he's already having symptoms. And you might say the symptoms are mild. And is that reassuring? And I would say not at all because he gets tested every day, so we know he only got it a a couple of days ago, so he's very early in his course. It would be highly surprising for him to be worse than just mildly symptomatic now, and his period of greatest risk will come in the next ten to seven to 10 days or so.
0: And I do want to ask you about that testing, and I want to certainly probe more the politics of this with Scott Schaefer, but let me bring Tony Schwartz into this, who is, uh, well, got some credit for having written Art of the Deal and uh, went through, uh, you might say, more responsible for Uh, creating the brand that President Trump had to become a reality star and a wheeler dealer businessman in the minds of so many Americans. And ultimately, the trajectory led to presidency, uh, which is something that Tony Schwartz has uh, worn a hair shirt for and felt a great deal of guilt about uh, and tried to redeem himself. Uh, That's a lot of what his new book is about. But Tony, you got to know him pretty well. And your book certainly gives us a very strong, your new book, uh, character sketch. That sense of uh, not wanting to ever show weakness. I'm curious to know your response, particularly in the light of suddenly being afflicted with the coronavirus. Uh, How do you think that squares in the heart and mind of Donald Trump?
3: Well, I think it is the very heart of what's going on right now is he has spent his life trying to do anything possible to avoid the feeling of weakness or vulnerability. We know that he was he had a very brutal father. Mary Trump has very much reinforced that, but that was my sense as well. Um, and that he had n- no sort of offsetting support from his mother, who was uh, both negligent and often sick. And I I believe that Donald Trump built his life around trying to find external evidence that he was not weak and proof that he in some way mattered, that that he did not have at all in his upbringing. So I think you're looking at something, it's biblical, it's Shakespearean right now, to think that On the one hand, even before this diagnosis, I believe, and the evidence I think suggests that Trump felt he was at risk of, more than at risk, that he was likely to lose this race, number one. That's a sign of failure. He sees only two possibilities, you win or you lose. If you lose, you are obliterated, you're nothing, you're worthless. So I think he's been contending with that in his own way. And I think what you saw, in the debates was evidence of that. Because I think while he may have come in with support from his aides to be critical of Biden, he literally couldn't control himself. The rage inside, the sense of weakness, the sense of helplessness, the sense that he was being treated unfairly was so overwhelming that he just went over the top. And then you add COVID. And COVID, you know, look, he watched, his grandfather died suddenly uh, at a very young age and left his father, uh, you know, as, a, as a, young, a very young man, like I think he was a 12 or 13, um, to contend with life. And then Fred Trump, Donald's father, um, died progressively over a number of years uh, from, or deteriorated toward death from Alzheimer's. So here's Trump watching his own life sort of run in front of him and the desperate attempt to hold off the end and to hold off the feeling of worthlessness. It's like physically that's challenged
0: now. No All right, Tony, I've got a challenge here because I'm up against the break. Uh, but again, uh, Tony Schwartz is the author of a new book called Dealing with the Devil, My Mother, Trump and Me. And uh, let me invite you, our listeners, to join this conversation. If you have some thoughts or if you have some questions, you can join us now and give us a call at our toll free number 866-733-6786. That number again for your phone calls, 866 866- 733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're just getting word uh, that uh, Joe Biden has tested negative for coronavirus. Mike Mamoli of NBC News is tweeting that. We're talking about the news that President Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus with Tony Schwartz, the author of a new book called Dealing with the Devil, My Mother, Trump and Me, and Dr. Bob Wachter, who is professor and chair in the Department of Medicine at UCSF, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor of KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of political breakdown. Let me read some comments that are coming in, Uh, emails. uh, David writes, I woke up this morning with an overriding emotion, resentment. I resent being dragged into his world of chaos. I have enough chaos in my life. And Ron says, Trump is perfectly happy about this. He probably thinks uh, this will show how easily he can defeat the virus and thereby overcome the lead Biden now has. Uh, Marcia says, how do we know about how mild the symptoms are given his inability to speak the truth? And here's Michael who writes, I think he's faking it. Trump is desperate over sinking poll numbers, the debate debacle, the tanking economy and the COVID crisis. So he's pulling a Hail Mary stunt. Being in quarantine allows him to dodge the debates, garner sympathy and render it unseemly for Biden to attack him. That's something that's been lighting up on social media, Scott Schaefer, this uh, notion that I guess we've been lied to so often by President Trump and people would say gaslighted that they think maybe he's faking it. But uh He was in contact with Hope Hicks and he was in contact with a lot of people who had the virus. any any notions along those lines, Scott? Well, I
2: certainly heard that last night, Michael, uh, on Twitter and from texts and other messages I was getting from people that uh, yeah, there was some question about whether this was real, was he doing it to, you know, engender sympathy for him knowing that his campaign was in some trouble. I don't think that he would do that, quite honestly. I mean, just uh, thinking back to what Tony said a few minutes ago about the fundamental nature and psychology of Donald Trump, he is someone who abhors the appearance of weakness. Uh, And I think it probably killed him to have to go on Twitter and acknowledge that he has uh, COVID-19 along with the First Lady. I I just don't think this is something at all that he is uh, really going to, you know, embrace. I think he, if you know, if if passed his prologue, he will try to downplay this. Uh, and I think, you know, coming back to the course of the, uh, of the illness for him, I mean, you know, if he does have relatively mild symptoms, more or less, you know, recovers rather quickly, I know there are some lingering ne- neurological uh, side effects of this that we may not even know about. But, you know, if he is able to more or less continue in a few weeks, I mean, we're getting close to the election now, but, you know, it could send the signal that, you know, he, may, he could say, look, as I've said, this is not a big deal. We shouldn't be shutting down the economy. Look at me. I'm 74 years old and I've come through it. More misinformation basically about, uh, you know, what the nature of this virus is, how it's spread and so on. Uh, so I, that's why I said at the very beginning, this is a, a day by day, hour by hour situation. We really don't know how this is going to unfold politically. But I think to the point of, you know, is he faking it? It just, it just shows the level and depth of Of mistrust that has been engendered from day one uh, when the president said that the crowds at the inauguration were bigger than Barack Obama's when they clearly weren't I mean it's been downhill all the way in terms of uh, trust and honesty and transparency.
0: You also have to ask uh, to what extent he will be uh, continuing to push for an opening up of the economy or the kind of uh, position that he has taken passionately on that score. Uh, Let me go back. uh, Let me go to a caller, and let's bring in Vincent. Vincent is our opening caller here. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir, Uh, you're on the air, please. My
1: my comment is, you know, actually, if if we take this a little bit of a a step further, and Trump actually does get a bit ill, I think it elevates the, uh, the debate that's coming up between the two vice presidential candidates. You know, others will look at Biden and say even if he doesn't have it, He's old, older. uh, And you've got Pence potentially stepping in, you know, as as president down the road, if if Trump really does uh, get sick and, and Harris then standing in the wing. So you may have a presidential debate instead of a vice presidential debate coming up here in about a week or so.
0: An important point, and I thank you for it, Vincent. I appreciate that call. Uh, I want to go back to Bob Wachter, though, for a moment. And uh, Bob, could you talk about the testing and what we've learned from this? They've had these rapid tests uh, at the White House, uh, and they're not necessarily as, well, effectual for the most part or uh, certain by any means.
1: Yeah, uh, they are getting better. A new one has just come out. I don't think it's being used yet at the White House, but they do have false negatives. And so... I think part of the theme here here is that uh, even in the uh, the environment of the White House, where people were being tested every day, they took that I believe as a, a reassurance that nobody around the president could have uh, could have COVID and it's okay, therefore not to follow the public health guidelines. And that clearly was a mistake. Uh, there have there are also uh, unusual but they happen false positives with that test. It happened with Governor DeWine. Uh, of Ohio, and so the, the first test that came back from uh, the president last night uh, uh, was positive. Might have been the rapid one, but by now, although they're really not being transparent at all about this because we could use a lot more information about the test, by now I assume he's had the better test, which is the PCR, uh, and, and, and that both of them were positive. I don't think they would have come out publicly unless they confirmed that, in fact, both tests are positive.
0: Tony Schwartz, if I can go back to you, I'm just interested in getting your thoughts about a couple of things that have certainly emerged that uh, continue to really be of great concern to the citizenry. And I'm talking about, you mentioned Mary Trump before. She seems to feel and we were talking with you about donald trump's character which you got very close exposure to she seems to feel that he's perfectly capable of trying to steal this election and she also seemed to feel that he was giving an order to the proud boys that he is uh, indeed a white supremacist any uh, light you can shed on those two notions for us
3: well i actually think just on the uh, proud boys part of this that when he said uh, stand what what were the two what were the four words he stand said down and stand by Stand down and stand by Stand down and stand by. I think um he meant to say stand back, and it was like a, a you know a quintessential Freudian slip. Um so to your to your bigger question, um I think Trump has been a racist since he and his father tried to I mean long before that, but visibly a racist since he and his father tried to keep or did successfully keep people black people out of the uh trump set of buildings in in uh brooklyn going back 40 years for which he was sued and had to sign a consent degree i think that nobody really doubts that i think that he is a racist including the most virulent racists themselves among them the proud boys so uh i think that um he is very much taken off any, he's he's eliminated any sense that he's going to euphemize about this or stand back from it. He's basically embraced it.
0: Well, if you uh, would like to join us, if you have questions for any of our guests or if you have something you'd like to put into this conversation or if you simply want to respond to What your own senses and your feelings are about the president uh, and Melania Trump, the first lady now enduring COVID, give us a call. 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. Again, that's 866-733-6786. And here's Mark in Alameda. Mark, join us. You're on the air.
2: Yeah, I have a quick question that maybe has a long answer. If President uh, Trump were to become uh, incapacitated or worse, uh, uh, what are the ramifications for the results of the November 3rd election? Scott Schaefer. Well, ramifications, uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that exactly. I mean, I think one question would be, uh, would, I mean, if if, if he's, and I, I defer to Dr. Walker on this, but if he were to get quite a bit sicker quickly, as happened to Boris Johnson in Britain, uh, and felt incapacitated. Obviously, the 25th Amendment would kick in. Mike Pence would uh, temporarily become president. I think the question is, would the president uh, decide to step step down uh, and get off the ticket um, and and I'm not sure honestly well, I think the party the RNC then would decide about running mate. Uh, it would have to be done very quickly. I'm sure it would be a very chaotic process but I'm not a hundred percent sure of that but the party generally gets to decide who its nominees are. Um, I think the, you know the bigger question is what impact does it have on voters how do voters perceive all of this and uh, you know is it something that is just contributing to a um, you know a scenario that we've seen for the last several, months where we've had a steady uh, rather steady race with Biden ahead uh, and really nothing changing the trajectory of the narrative uh, or the trajectory of the polls no matter what the narrative was and so we'll have to wait and see just you know what this if does if anything to the polling but you know to your question I, I think it would you know it would certainly mean that Mike Pence would be uh, you know, become president at least temporarily.
0: And a question uh for dr wachter from uh, a listener named david who tweets the question and wants to know uh about biden's uh negative test could it be too early for the test to tell Uh,
1: the answer is yes and so it will be important that he has follow-up tests his risk uh, should be extremely low. First of all, he's been extraordinarily careful for the entire time. In terms of the debate itself, I didn't see a measurement, but it looked to be that he was standing 15 to 20 feet away, which is generally, although not 100%, a safe distance. Uh, but in terms of the question, Michael, the um, uh, it takes a few days of incubation period for the virus to replicate enough in order to uh, to have a positive test. So if, if if the vice president's exposure was through the debate, having a negative test today is uh, certainly more reassuring than a positive test. But he it, it would not be out of the woods. You'd want to see uh, tests for another several days,
2: uh, and and I guess we'll see.
0: And Scott, where does all this figure in with coronavirus relief at this point? Or how well, does
2: it in? Uh, yeah, well, of course, Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who I believe also tested negative this morning, uh, have been uh, talking. They are close to a deal. Uh, Speaker Pelosi today urged the airlines to hold off on uh, furloughing any workers, indicating that they are getting close to some kind of a deal. Uh, so uh, I don't know when I don't know that this will have any impact on that other than to continue to place the coronavirus and the pandemic at the top of mind for everybody uh, in the country and you know including those in congress
0: and a comment from curtis who writes president trump's positive COVID test is more proof that the senate must not move forward with a supreme court confirmation that could terminate millions of americans health insurance and robert emails us one might hope that republicans upon hearing this news would take a moment to stop and reflect that perhaps the president's approach to the virus, including mocking mask wearing and ignoring social distancing recommendations, was not the best response to the virus. And uh, <laughs> let me get a response to that first comment from you, Scott, uh, in terms of the Supreme Court uh, confirmation. I mean. Uh, We're sort of weighing this in the balance and particularly weighing it in light of a a recent revelation that came out about testimony that simply was not offered in the judiciary hearing, uh, uh, the appellate uh, confirmation of uh, Justice Barrett. Um, and I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about she apparently signed on to something that said uh, abortion is barbaric back in I think it was yeah I think it was
2: an open letter that appeared yeah. in the magazine yeah but it,
0: it, it was not offered uh, in terms of her initial confirmation here.
2: right and I think you know Senator Graham said it wasn't required either it wasn't an official writing of hers but uh, nonetheless I, you know they're going to do everything they can Republicans uh, in the Senate to go full speed ahead with this uh, I believe we said earlier that Mike Lee a Republican from Utah who was on the Judiciary Committee he has tested positive but you know they can do this to a certain extent uh, virtually um uh, we don't know exactly who else may come down with this but i think come hell or high water the republicans are going to try to get get this out of the judiciary committee if not to the floor uh, before the election
0: speaking of hell and high water tony schwartz i want to go back to you because uh, your book does have a kind of thesis in it uh, You write about the difficulties you have with your mother it's a very personal book uh but also certainly about donald trump and you write about sort of the devil within us it's very hawthorne-esque if i could say so that somehow maybe we all have a bit of trump in us Uh, that would be certainly good news to many people who are champions of the president and love the president and support him but it would be hard for many people to reconcile uh can you expand on that a little bit for us
3: yeah I, I'm happy to just one quick note about Amy Coney Barrett. Um, she wore no mask at the Rose Garden ceremony introduction, nor did any of her six, I guess, children were six of her seven children were there, nor her husband. So we don't know what's what her vulnerability is, but it's unconscionable that the White House would have allowed that to happen, as it has been all along. Um, to this question, to this question you raise about the Trump and all of us um, that, or that I raise, uh, you know the, the the part of me that uh, that I think of as having something very significant in common with Trump is the the part that wants to avoid that the, those experiences that are uncomfortable and that make you not feel good about yourself. And I think for me the the, the the gift of having done that book was the opposite of what its effect was for Trump, which was to double, triple, and quadruple down on his instinct to lie. For me, it was to kind of brutally seek the truth, to to really try to understand how do you embrace all of who you are without seeing it as the bad, as proof that you are... Uh, that you are only bad, and so yeah, Hawthorne-esque. Um, I, I I buy that. That that one of the one of the challenges for the country now in healing from Trump, and that's assuming that he loses, which is certainly my hope, is really can we face the truth. About ourselves? Can we face it about race? Can we face it about gender? Can we face it about the ways in which we act out trying to protect ourselves? There's a real opportunity here in my mind for a reckoning um, with who we are as a as a culture, who we are as a people.
0: And I'm going to read another comment from a listener. And again, you can add your voice here by emailing us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook, or we're at KQED Forum. listener writes, I've been ardently against Trump's policies and attitudes, offended like so many, but have tried to believe that we should condemn the actions, not the man. This is admittedly really hard when it comes to Donald Trump, but even so, I hope those who share my views on the left don't let themselves become the hate that they loathe with their glee. Uh, There is a lot of sense, uh, for better or worse, of poetic justice in this. And uh, I'm wondering, Bob Wachter, what your thoughts are, uh, particularly in light of the fact that um, Cornell study, which was just released, which I'm sure you're familiar with, says the biggest transmitter of misinformation about the pandemic is indeed Donald J. Trump.
1: Well, I mean, we can feel sympathy for the person and still feel like uh, this uh, pandemic has been mishandled at a national level and uh and the source of much of that is the president there's just no two ways about it it's i think very hard to look at his responses all the way through and see anything good about it and really under any estimate that i can come up with that has cost tens of thousands of lives Uh, we look at san francisco which just had its hundredth death 100 uh last week from covid uh, and uh, if, if the entire country had had our death rate, we would have had 165,000 fewer deaths. And what that says is in San Francisco, you know, our bodies are exactly the same. The virus is exact, exactly the same. It says in an area where there was good political leadership and where the people uh, wore masks and paid attention to the science, that is the kind of difference that uh, that could have been made. And I believe that had there been presidential leadership, as I think there, you know, we would have expected coming out early, saying this is serious. Here's what you need to do. Um, the kind of thing that he obviously knew about, and uh, from his discussions with Woodward, uh, I believe that we would have had tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand or more fewer deaths than we had. So it's 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 hard to look at this and not. Uh, you can feel sympathy for the person as a person, as we should, from everybody who gets it, but not to to uh, conclude that uh, if he had done some different things, we'd have a lot more people alive today.
0: Well, you mentioned Woodward just recently. He was at the Al Smith dinner, and he was talking about the end of the pandemic being in sight, and again, playing it down, as he admitted to Bob Woodward that he did. Uh, but again, we'll hear from you, our listeners, and we do indeed want to hear from you. You can join us toll free at 866-733-6786. And Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett tested negative for coronavirus today. That's according to a White House spokesperson back to what Tony Schwartz raised. And we'll go to more of your calls and emails when we return. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the news that President Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus with Tony Schwartz, the author of a new book called Dealing with the Devil, My Mother, Trump and Me, and Bob Wachter, who is Professor and Chair in the Department of Medicine at UCSF, and Scott Schaefer, Senior Editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. And let's bring another caller on here. Tawny joins us. Good morning.
2: Hi. Good morning. This is...
0: Connie, yeah, hi. and I have a question. Uh, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned that Mike Lee has recently been tested positive for COVID nineteen, and it one made me wonder: are Congress, the House and the Senate, do they have the same health care as the rest of the United States? And as much do they depend on the benefits of the A? ACA in terms of pre existing conditions? Will Mike Lee, if he votes for the new Supreme Court Justice and she votes ACA down, will he lose his, his um, health care benefit? an interesting question uh, they actually Scott they have pretty
2: good health yeah, care coverage I wouldn't worry about the quality of their health care yeah. that's typically uh, better than most people's and uh, uh, Congress is often exempt from the laws that they pass anyway uh, so I don't th- I, I'm not too concerned about Mike Lee uh, losing his health insurance and not being able to get uh, a new policy because of a pre-existing condition unlike many other people
0: now, let me thank uh, Connie for her call and a tweet uh, I'm going to go to you with this Tony Schwartz. Uh, Listener says uh, in the tweet, I'm frankly surprised Trump announced the diagnosis at least so soon. I was expecting radio silence until his illness or absence became overwhelmingly obvious. Tony?
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a reasonable uh, guess. They did keep it secret about uh, Hope Hicks and they hoped to keep it secret, but the, the you know, uh, it was reported in the media. Um, I think that that uh, somehow someone or some people prevailed on Trump to say it's going to be worse for you if we try to hide this. And the only surprising thing is that he went along with that.
1: Let me... uh, Michael, I'd add add that the, uh, the, the the, the amount of contact tracing that would have to kick in unless they're truly being immoral is such that it would have become quite clear that somebody in the center of the White House was infected.
0: Yeah, and another question for you, Bob, this is a tweet from Joseph who says, what therapeutics would President Trump be eligible for? Which ones do you think would help?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. There is no proven treatment for early COVID in terms of uh, preventing uh, the illness from getting worse and leading to shortness of breath or hospitalization or, or ultimately respiratory failure. The only treatments that have been approved are ones that, uh, and, and that we know work for sure, are ones that are, uh, are only given for pa- patients that are sick and are in the hospital, and that's an antiviral drug called remdesivir, and an uh, anti-inflammatory medicine called dexamethasone, which is a form of steroid. Uh, my guess is there's a, there's a pretty promising uh, set of therapeutics called monoclonal antibodies, which is essentially an artificial form of antibodies that's manufactured. And early studies are pretty promising in terms of giving it to people, it's very expensive, and so it won't be widely used, but giving it to people before uh, they're sick enough to need to be hospitalized, at least in the early studies, and it's too early to be sure about this, they lower the rate of hospitalization and of sickness. My guess is that, um, that they will figure out a way to, uh, to get the president uh, one of those drugs, uh, even though it's not generally available to the public. Um, they may figure out a way to get him remdesivir, which is an intravenous drug, and uh, generally right now only available to people that are already sick and in the hospital. It wouldn't shock me if they give, if they give that to him, and, uh, and we'll have to see. You know, it, people uh, on Twitter last night, there was a lot of discussion about, well, you know, even though he's got these negative prognostic uh, signs, his age, his obesity, uh, and being male, Uh, He'll also get the best care in the world, and that might make a difference if it turns out these drugs work and he has access to them, whereas the rest of us wouldn't. Uh, But I can tell you that in my experience and in the literature, there's no great evidence that VIPs do better, and actually, in my experience, sometimes they do worse because as you remember from Steve Jobs, sometimes they dictate their own care and get care that's not evidence-based. Sometimes uh, the care is somewhat chaotic because everybody's falling over themselves to to take care of the patient. And so in terms of the VIP stuff, I wouldn't think that his odds are any better than the average patient coming to the ER at UCSF today.
0: Can we safely say that this uh, finally puts to rest the idea that hydroxychloroquine can indeed uh, be a prophylactic? He took it for two weeks and swore by it.
1: Uh, no it doesn't it, it, what puts it to rest is the fact that there have been um, uh, more than a dozen studies of that question that demonstrate i meant finally it at rest.
0: <laughs> in a uh, casket it may it
1: may, it may put it to rest in his mind but no i think it's it's hazardous to to use a uh, 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 single patient examples and that's part of what gets the president in trouble you know he sees this this case and the patient miraculously got better and the next thing you know is touting it as as a cure-all. So that's why we need science, because you really, the fact that he may have been taking it and he still got sick is interesting, but to me not persuasive. What's persuasive, it has now been massively studied, and the evidence is quite clear that it does not work.
0: And Scott Schaefer, let's talk for a moment, if we could, uh, about a very serious topic, the continuity of government uh, and... What may be at stake here with the president uh, disabled uh, temporarily or afflicted for how long? Uh, Carl Bernstein, for example, has raised concerns and serious concerns about national security and just about the ongoing uh, sense of government operating.
2: Yeah, I mean, these are moments, uh, as we saw, I mean, the most severe example in our lifetime, uh, the assassination of JFK, Uh, you know, that uh, national, uh, our allies and our adversaries are all paying very close attention. Our allies are concerned. Our adversaries are looking for opportunities. And uh, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting because I think it is in the interest of everyone, for there to be complete transparency here from the White House, uh, not just about the president's condition, but the circumstances of his getting it, who else might have been infected? I mean, I think this is not the time to uh, try to cover things up, because uh, it's a time when people are looking very carefully at what's happening and the fitness, not just of the president, but of the uh, federal government and the executive branch of the government in particular. So I think um, uh, you know this is a moment where uh, I, I imagine. I'm just guessing now, but uh, the military is on uh, particularly high alert, you know, at moments like this. Um, and so it, it's a, it is a crisis. Um, the question is, how will the White House handle it?
0: And Tony Schwartz, there's a moment in your book where you write about one of Trump's biographers uh, and say that um, he cites, a well, actually you cite it, uh, it was in your experience with the uh, President Trump, uh, that at one moment he seemed somewhat self-reflective and he said, I haven't changed at all since the first grade. And he didn't realize that that was a very telling and self-revelatory remark, uh, which um, he was apparently proud of. Could this be a moment, uh, I mean, let's hope the illness doesn't get more dreadful, but could this be a moment of self-revelation and self-reflection for Donald Trump?
3: Not a chance. (laughs) Not a chance. He is uh, a man with zero self-reflective capacity. Um, his He lives, you know, his main deceit is with himself. And I, I've said, I wrote a piece uh, um, that was published on Medium called The Psychopath in Chief. And my point there is that the most relevant qualities for Trump are the absence of conscience and the absence of empathy. And so his life revolves around dominating, because the only uh, the only alternative, as I think I said earlier, is being uh, defeated, being overwhelmed. So no, he is not going into a self reflective mode. He's not gonna have if should it happen a deathbed conversion. He is what he is and what he's been what he has been since he's seven. And that's one of his relatively few insights into himself. Uh, along the, the 75 years he's been alive.
0: You say he is what he is, and I'm struck by that phrasing because, uh, go back, Bob Walker, to the president saying it is what it is about COVID.
1: Yeah, well, it it is what it is. It's a terrible pandemic, and I think, you know, I try to be fair and say this would have been bad under anyone's watch. It, it, it would have been a major challenge. People would have died. It would have challenged any system. But uh, it didn't have to be like this and doesn't have to be like this. And. Uh, you know as people have mapped out uh, and gamed out what a pandemic would look like over the last 20 30 40 years uh, there was no scenario in which the federal government would have become part of the problem would have uh, would have been the source of misinformation would have shackled the main agency responsible for prevention and educating people about what to do there uh, no one even could uh, uh, that was not on the list of things that we needed to worry about so, Uh, It it is what it is, but it isn't really what it could have been.
0: And a question, Scott Schaefer, from a listener for you. Uh, It's a bit speculative, but the listener says, can your guest speak to the concern that if the president were to die because of this or become incapacitated, would the Republican Party put Pence in as their candidate?
2: Uh, I believe as I said earlier that the party you know is uh, does get to decide who their nominees are uh, I can't imagine that Mike Pence wouldn't be the nominee I mean he has been there and been loyal and you know is familiar with uh, the operation I think just for continuity sake they would do that the question of course would become uh, who would he pick or they pick as Vice President. Uh, It would be a chaotic crazy scramble. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean this is just totally speculation but you know I've always felt that Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor, would be a very strong candidate for president at some point in the future. I'm sure she's interested in that job Uh, but again uh, we we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves.
0: Well, Bob Wachter, could you weigh in on future debates if uh, President Trump is healthy? Is there any way to do that safely or for that matter, the vice presidential debate?
1: Well, I I, I think they will be more th- they'll t- they'll pay more attention to the risk of the virus in any kind of uh, public gathering. <clears throat> and so I, I imagine the rules will be somewhat different in terms of maybe additional spacing. And certainly everybody in the audience will uh, will wear masks. Um. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to say in terms of future presidential debate, uh, since, uh, since the president has symptoms now, in general uh, we say that two weeks after uh, the onset of symptoms you are no longer infectious even if you uh, are continuing to test positive. We, you know, the, in the beginning, we saw people who had persistently positive viral tests for you know, weeks and weeks and wondered, are they still infectious? And the evidence is really quite clear that a couple of weeks out, you're no longer infectious. You may still test positive because you have dead virus. So, but for, certainly for the next two weeks, uh, he needs to be in absolutely strict quarantine. And so, uh, you know, whether they do a virtual debate or whether they cancel it, uh, I'm not sure of the date of the second debate, the second presidential debate, but it would would be uh, public health malpractice to do an in-person debate with a person within a couple of weeks of them developing the coronavirus.
0: And the debate in Miami will presumably go on or not go on scott shaver we know
2: well we'll have to see i mean it's scheduled for october 15th um the vice presidential debate is next week next wednesday Uh, so it really depends i think on the president's condition um, of course, there's all kinds of concerns about the format of the debate and the rules of the debate. It was so chaotic and, and just, you know, ridiculous uh, earlier this week. I don't think anyone wants to see a repeat of that. Uh, it's also a town hall format, which means you've got to have more people in the room. Uh, so there could be concerns there as well. Uh, but I think the primary question is what, what kind of shape is Donald Trump in, uh, you know, one week, two weeks from now?
0: Let me read a comment, Tony Schwartz, uh, go to you on this. A listener writes, what Mr. Schwartz said about why Trump has such a fierce determination to be seen as superior gave me the best insight I've had up to now regarding what exactly it is in him that his supporters identify with, people who feel they are always looked down on, left out of the good things in life, considered ignorant, uneducated, and so forth, actually see Trump inside them. You know, it strikes me and often has struck me, Tony, as a working class kid that, um, The irony in that is uh, that many of these people who are from blue-collar backgrounds or uh, without jobs and without means of support and so forth are identifying someone who had not only a silver spoon in his mouth, but, uh, I don't know, whatever is even more valuable than gold.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I remember the, the, the last thing I said to Jane Mayer in first talking about Trump in 2016 for The New Yorker was that his supporters are, going, are soon going to learn that there's nobody Trump cares about less than them. And it is one of the great ironies of, uh, of, of this whole era that um, these are the people Trump disdains. Listen, we're back to winners and losers, and he considers people who don't have money people who don't have a fancy college degree to be losers. And the last people on earth he wants to spend time with are these folks uh, who are his strongest supporters. But look, they have in common with him, Arlie Hochschild has written about in Strangers in Our Own Land so brilliantly, They they share with Trump the experience of feeling aggrieved. They're aggrieved for reasons very often that are quite concrete and legitimate. Trump's aggrieved about, emotionally aggrieved. He's aggrieved about not being beloved, not just by his parents, but by all the sort of establishment, um, the the folks in the establishment who represent having arrived. The New but York forgive
0: column. me, Tony, excuse me, the people you say he looks down upon are the people who have adulation toward him, which he thrives on and which he cussets and
3: and welcomes, right. to put it mildly. Absolutely. He looks down on the people who uh, revere him. And it's because this is there is nothing rational or reflective about this. This is something that's going on in people's emotions in their guts and they feel aggrieved and they hope that this powerful seeming man will stand in for them and protect them where they don't feel they can protect themselves it just turns out to be exactly the opposite
0: let's bring another caller on dave joins us dave you're on the air good morning uh good morning how are you okay thank you for joining us uh yeah i just wanted to this is a little off
3: topic at this point um I've been waiting for a little while, but uh, during the debate when he was asked about uh, racial sensitivity training, um, Trump made some comments uh, about, he said something uh, about certain people, it's sort of a reversal. And I thought that was interesting because he was talking about a reversal of racism, of systemic racism that he refuses to acknowledge exists in the first place. And I thought that it was kind of a a slip up on his behalf. And uh, it was very telling of his standpoint on uh or his acknowledgement of systemic racism and uh, i just wanted to point that out and see
0: if anybody
2: had anything noticed the same thing
0: well i thank you for pointing it out uh his perspective scott Schaefer, from yours
2: yeah i think his positions on race uh, and prejudice are pretty clear by this point we've seen him this week struggle mightily to de, uh, to denounce white supremacists. Uh, and there are so many other things you could point to. Uh, I think his comment in the debate about, I think it was sensitivity training or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think he's somebody who acknowledges any kind of bias uh, that is systemic in our system. You know, he's benefited a lot from uh, bias that came with his privilege, uh, but I don't think he is aware or cares about or is willing to think much about or learn much about the experience of, for example, people of color in the workplace, in out in the economy, or anywhere else.
0: Well, we hope uh, the best for the President and the First Lady, and I want to thank our guests. Thanks, Scott Schaefer. Always good to have you, Scott good to be with you. Thanks, Bob Wachter. Always good to have you as well.
1: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it.
0: And thank you, Tony Schwartz. Good to have you with us as well.
3: Good to be here. Thank you.
0: And Tony Schwartz's new book is called Dealing with the Devil, My Mother, Trump, and Me. And we're here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. In fact, another hour of forum is coming up ahead with Mina. Kim, who will be hosting, and I hope you will join us for that. Remind you that we always like hearing from you. If you have some thoughts about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear on Forum, just email us, forum at kqed.org. And Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prale, Blanca Torres, and Susan Britton. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll, and our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our intern is Jamison Weiss. Our executive editor is Ethan tovin Lindsay, And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, your public radio station, thank you for being a part of this morning's program. Have a good weekend. And for all of us, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.